0: good morning good afternoon and good evening everybody welcome back to another edition of an author's kiss right here in selfdiscoverymedia.com i'm your host sarah troy and my guest is jeffrey stevens we're going to be talking about his new novel uh it's called the fool's Er errand it's about a patriotic heart into the mafia thriller tale years after the death of his gangster's father a young man discovers a letter that sends him reluctantly defying the mob as he races to low the hidden tre- treasure. It's been six years since the ultimate death of Blackie, a charming rogue who endlessly pursued the big deal. And when his son discovers his ignited letter telling him of a cashier of stolen money, feeling no choice but to pursue his father's dream, he embarks on a search that leads him from New York to the strip in Las Vegas and ultimately to the south of France. Along his life-altering journey, he's confronted by the dangers of his father's past as he unravels decades-old mystery, mystery while revealing the long-buried secrets uh, secrets as well. So Jeffrey is born in New York City, graduated from Bronx High School, um, and he's a uh, collegiate completed his BA in creative writing from Pennsylvania. Uh, His first novel he wrote in 1970, which would not be published for several years as they entered uh, Fordham University School of Law. He practiced legal practice, um, including extensive civil and criminal courtroom experience, and he has represented a wide range of celebrity clients. And We're going to be diving into this fool's errand, but also the joy of writing. Um, If it takes a particular everybody thinks they can be an author until they start writing and then they realize it's not as easy as they think but we all need a really good kind of mystery and and uh, discovery and kind of danger and and hope and everything you know that's what these kind of books do isn't it it takes us on a journey it shows us exactly what we would love to kind of experience ourselves. And as the, you know, the dangers that they go through and the discoveries that they make and are they gonna get it before the bad guy does? It really does excite us and intrigue us, doesn't it Jeffrey?
1: It certainly does me.
0: Yeah, yes, I'm, I, I'm a whodunit fan. You know, I love things that kind of unravel and who did it or did they find it? I love things that take you on a journey. And I think whenever I put a book down, that's taken me on that journey. It's always a pause to reflect of, you know, that may have been a thriller or a fictional story, but my God, do I relate to it on so many levels? Yeah,
1: you know, it's interesting you say journey because, uh, you know, I've written obviously books before this and I, had a, um, I have out a spy thriller series. I've got four of those and I did a murder mystery. But during the pandemic, I felt like I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted it to be a little closer to home in the sense of family orientation, because so many of us either were locked up with our family, which is sometimes (laughs) good or bad, or we couldn't get to see our family and so on. But what I also wanted to do is I also wanted it to be a little bit of of a whirlwind around the world type thing, because we're all locked up so much that I like the idea of going from New York, as you say, over to Vegas. Then down to Monaco, the south of France and Paris and all of that. I thought that would be a fun thing to do, especially this time with everyone, you know, s- stuck in front of their TV sets and and yeah. uh, and so on. So anyway, so that's that was one of the motivations in this particular book, which is a one off and not typical of what I've written so far. I mean,
0: it, it's it's fun. I mean, I've actually interviewed real life gangsters, you know, and what made them gangsters, what path they went down there. And, you know, everybody thinks that they're just going to grow up and become a gangster or they become it because of the environment that they're in. The circumstances that somebody becomes a gangster. And of course, families born to it, you know, there is no choice. They're always on alert. They're always going to be victimized. Somebody wanting to snatch them or take them out, big retaliation. I mean, it's a precarious job to be a child of a gangster, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I've known gangsters and I've represented gangsters, by the way, back in uh, my day when I was an attorney in New York City. So, yes, I agree. And being the son of a gangster, as we have in Fool's Errand, where our narrator and our main character is a straight shooter. His mother was intent on him never following his father's path, and he did not. And so when he finds this letter, and this is no spoiler alert for potential readers out there, because this all is, is disclosed on the first page, that he discovers this letter six years after the early demise of his dad. So this is almost like his father talking to him now from the great beyond. And as you correctly pointed out, his father was somebody who was always reaching for the brass ring and never quite got hold of it. And now he tells his son this story about hidden money, and uh that he can't give the son too many details in case the wrong people get their hands on the letter and now the son has to make a decision do i put this letter back in the envelope or do i go on this crazy treasure hunt and since the name of the book is fool's errand we know what he does so uh so as you say he encounters danger intrigue romance uh family secrets uh and so forth and so on and i really do feel it's it's a fun read um, it is a father-son story, but it, it's a great kind of uh, international treasure hunt, as I say, and the reviews, thankfully, and I appreciate everyone uh, saying how great the book is and how much they enjoyed it and how much it caused them to think of uh, their own family during it and even after. I had one, one wonderful woman uh, who's also a writer, uh, Nancy Christie, She she reviewed it, and she said that the first thing she did when she finished the book was she hung up and called her mother. <laughs> so, so it's sort of like that connection, you know, is a lot of what the book is about. But it's wrapped around a fun, a fun time.
0: Um, you know, as I said, when I read a book or even watch a good, good movie, you know, if it's caused me pause for thought afterwards where I feel, mm, you know, what would I do in that situation? Or gosh, you know, I, I feel that, or, oh God, why did they do that? You know, uh, you know I think that's always the compliment to the author or to, or to the show because anything that makes you stop and think and reflect you know, on yeah. your own life, or even on a different form of perception. Yes, we there's certain things we watch or read because it's it's exciting at the moment. Oh, that was a good book, put it down and on you go with your life. But when you've got something that you can refer back to, or something that keeps popping back into your mind, you know, that really is kind of the hook that an author really wants, isn't
1: it? Yes, it is. it certainly is for me. Look, I understand there are some books that are just straight entertainment fiction. Yeah. And you read them. I had a conversation with a friend the other day, and I'm not knocking any writer and I'm not going to use names, but my friend was saying that <laughs> three different times he has picked up the same book by the same writer because he had forgotten that he read it and he was 50 pages in and he said, wait a minute, I've read this one before because that's what they're intended to be. They're, inter- they're intended to be entertainment for the moment and so on. Yeah. When I write, I try and create characters of real flesh and blood. I want people to, relate to those characters because i think there's value in that i think there's value in us seeing that there are other people who suffer the same woes who share the same experiences who have the same attitudes whatever and i like to think that at the end of the book that a, a reader is going to think back and say gee that blackie was an interesting character or that scene had certain meaning to me so um and and that's important. I'll tell you a funny story. You said you wanna talk a bit about, you know, the writing process and, mm-hmm. and you know, people wanting to write books. You know i've written a number of books I, I i have several that are not yet published and i'm hoping they will be some i hope will never be <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so we're written
0: just for you <laughs> when you
1: said i wrote a book back in 1970 i wanted to cringe but anyway <laughs> but that book will never see the light of day i promise you. So. <laughs> but and it anyway, was it's the catalyst of- right it was, yeah, some, yeah. It was also so his purpose <laughs> yeah but i have this friend of mine who's a writer and i'll give him a plug his name is chris beaky he writes some very edgy mysteries if you like mysteries And Chris is terrific and we read each other's work and we give each other encouragement. And so one of the things about fool's errand was there are a lot of scenes in there that were very personal and some of which were drawn or at least based on sort of kind of things that happened in my life. And Mm -hmm. so the book wound up being a pretty long book and it just didn't flow correctly. It just didn't flow. And one day he called me up and he said, listen, I have to tell you something. I know you're going to be upset. He said, but this scene, this scene, this scene and that scene all have to go. He said, I love them all. Save them for another book. But they've got to go. Mm. And I knew he was right. And it improved the pacing of the book and made it a much quicker read, because at some point during the book, as you know, you're in the midst of this treasure hunt. You don't want the, in the beginning. It's OK for the narrator to be giving you background and, and a sense of this family. But you don't want to stop in the middle of the action and say, Let me tell you this story about my sister or let me tell you this story about my mother. You know, that doesn't in help the middle of a shootout.
0: It <laughs> doesn't help
1: the pacing. No. But one of the highest <laughs> one of the highest compliments he could possibly have, have paid me is there's a scene towards the end of the book, and I said, Well, what you don't think I should take out that scene? And there was a pause on the phone and Chris said, if you take that scene out I'll kill you <laughs> cuz he just loved it so much he said I cry every time I read it because it's so great it hits so close to home I said okay that stays in but yeah. anyway we really we cut this book from 95,000 words to 75,000 words which is a lot of cutting yes um uh, so it's a really manageable size now um and It just, you know, it's, I'm hoping that people see it as a page turner, but a page turner that leaves them with things to think about Mm -hmm. in their own lives and so on and so on. You know, if I could jump in again about the writing process too, you know, people say something, you know, they ask me sometimes, you know, where do you come up with these ideas and whatever? So we're having one of those conversations. We all have them at some point in life. Mm -hmm. If you could spend one day with someone who's gone, who would that be? Mm -hmm. And some people say, Uh, Jesus Christ. Some people say uh, Isaac Newton. Some people say uh, Leonardo da Vinci. But who do most people say? They say, I could spend one more day with my mom, who's now gone. If I could spend one more day with my dad. So it got me to thinking, and I decided, wouldn't it be interesting if if I have a young man who finds a letter from his father who died six years earlier, it's sort of like the father speaking to him from the great beyond. And he knows he's never going to have this opportunity again. This is a one off where, you know, this letter and he's only going to get to open it once. He's only going to get to read it once and so on. And I thought, that's terrific. Just one little problem. I need a story to go with it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what does the letter say? Right. So I mean, it's got to say something important. And so I built this whole novel around the idea that he gets this letter and that letter puts everything into motion and creates the whole dynamic of the story. But it just started with that little idea.
0: Yes, yes. So go my, figure, my, right? Uh, my brother is an author. I'll give him a plug out, Sam Hawksmore. And he writes thriller, but he writes a lot of youth genre and he likes a lot of multi-dimensional stuff. Uh, I, I, wow. I have virtually been no book of his that I haven't put down, not only enjoyed, but also thought, you know, like, what if? What if it had gone that way? What if this had happened? You, you wrote a book, Thomas D. Repercussions of Thomas D., a young boy on his phone with his girlfriend, you know, teenager, and all of a sudden goes through a wormhole and finds him in 1945 in the war. You know, what's this device you have? Are you a spy? Ends up telling everybody, well, everything. Say the, the,
1: the name of the book again?
0: Repercussions of Thomas D. by Sam Hawksmore. And it changes history completely where the Germans win and, you know, and, and it's just like, you know, what makes us pause and think in our own lives is that what actions do we take mindlessly that we don't know the ripple effect or the domino effect that it has. And, you know, I, I love, as I said, even if it's just simply a fun novel, and as I said I love the mystery, I love the un, un, you know the the Me adventures. Um, it takes you somewhere. Not only is it stimulating and exciting, but I love the food for thought. Could I do that in my position? Would I have done that? God, I wish they hadn't done that. <laughs> you, know? you get you become kind of part one of the characters in the book or the show, don't you? Because you know you you're the cheerleader on the side, and my mum was an actress and. Um, apparently there was one play she was doing and she had to choose between her husband and the poet. And I was apparently six or seven in the audience and I go, go with the poet. <laughs> <laughs> so I got really immersed, That's the great. poet seemed nicer. But That's we, great. Want that, we want that interaction from people. We want them to to be feel like they're part of that story that they're on that adventure with somebody.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, I, I agree. And that is why I think, this is just my theory, but you're you're right in tune with me. I think the reason that mysteries remain such a popular genre, in fact, I'm being told by my editor and others in the publishing industry that mysteries are the hottest form right now. We've gotten a little bit away from these espionage thrillers and we're back to mysteries. The reason is that we do ride along with the characters because the whole sense of the whodunit is, can you figure it out? Yes. I, my, the murder mystery that came out before this book, before Fool's Aaron, was called Crimes and Passion. And the highest praise in a murder mystery that I could get is when someone writes me and says, I didn't know till the last page, mm. you know, because it's, you know, because I hate when someone says, "Ah, oh, I knew this halfway through, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Or when when Agatha Christie wrote up, uh, what was the name of it? the murder of Roger Ackroyd? Do you remember that? I think it might have even been her first murder mystery. And it turns out at the end of the book, and I'm sorry for those of you who haven't read it, but if you haven't read it by now, it's been 100 years. <laughs> at the end of the book, you you, deter, you discover that the narrator was the murderer. And ah. so he was one of the first unreliable narrators in fiction because he tells you the whole story. And at the end, you learn he was the murderer. And you never would have guessed at the way the book is written. I mean, right. even if you know that, you'd go back and read it and enjoy it. Yes. But the other thing, too, is that there are certain books, and I know you must feel the same way there are certain books where you become so attached to the character yes. that you're really sorry when the book is over. Mm-hmm. And I want to name two books of that type that, that really that resonate for me. One is an old book. One of my favorite, it's called the razor's edge by Somerset Mom. And the main character, Larry Durrell goes on a whole spiritual journey. That's what the book is about, which I know you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And, it is just such a wonderful book. And at the end, when he goes off, you think, oh, come on, come on, mom. You could have written a sequel. <laughs> I yes, to exactly. <laughs> and the other book much more recently, I don't know if you read it. Um, it got a lot of play and I guess it sold really well. And somebody told me about it. And I said, how could this book be any good when they told me the premise? And it's called A Gentleman in Moscow. And A Gentleman in Moscow, The the entire story, I'm not, again, this one, I'm not ruining anything, unlike Roger Ackroyd. The the Gentleman in Moscow is about the the Russian Revolution, where an aristocrat who believes in his country comes back from Paris at the very start of the book, even though he's an aristocrat and will be in trouble. And because he came back on his own, they couldn't couldn't murder him. They couldn't assassinate him. So they banish him to live the rest of his life in a hotel in Moscow, the Metropole Hotel. And you think like, God, that's so claustrophobic. I mean, yeah. the writing is so fantastic. The character is so great that when the book ends, you feel like you've lost a great friend. And mm-hmm. to me, that's terrific writing. If yeah. if I can relate to a character like that, where I'm sorry at the end that I'm not going to get to see him anymore, mm-hmm. that's that touches me. And I'm hoping that in *Fools Earned*, there are a couple of characters you feel that way about
0: yeah and that we want we want that attachment again we, we, with my brother he, he he wrote this trilogy that it starts off being one thing um, people finding various gifts of teleportation etc but by the third book what you discover what it's really about is astounding absolutely astounding because never would you view a fold of that and but all along the line you just think oh this oh that and that and that and then at the end it's like Oh my God. <laughs> you know,
1: it's you That's fantastic.
0: That, it keeps you on the edge of your seat, it keeps you guessing, it keeps you immersed in the characters. And I when I have a good book like that, you better give me a sequel. <laughs> I want I to know. know the next chapter, you know. I know,
1: it's true. <laughs> it's true. People people enjoyed crimes and passion, and so I have written a sequel to that. Fool's Errand, I haven't done anything about yet, as but, yet. yet as I say. yet. <laughs> but as as of yet. But, um, but yes, it's so great when you relate to the characters. And so in a murder mystery, if there's a detective or a character that you really like, and you're engaged in the what's going on and trying to figure it out along with them, you know, that's the other thing about murder mysteries. You know, we have the typical murder mystery, which is a murder committed on the first page, let's say, and in comes Sarah and she's the detective. And now you ride along with her as she figures it out, right? That's typical. Then you have the other version in the genre, which is Columbo, which yeah. is, we know exactly who committed a murder. Mm-hmm. And now the game and the fun is working with Columbo to see how he's going to trap the murder into exposing themselves and, and giving themselves up or, or, or you know, admitting a right. crime or whatever. And, you know, I love Columbo. He was a great character, Peter Falk. He It was terrific. But I like the classic murder mystery where I don't know what happens. Yeah. And it just sort of goes along like that. So anyway, it's a matter of and,
0: and also that it's not always just a straight kind of murder murder mystery oh yeah you know, that's right or, or, you know talk about because my brother writes these things and you know he's just written one um, we feel your pain so you don't have to and it's like okay what's that about and it's a, about a guru who can take pain away but it means somebody else has got to have it and so it and it uncovers you know kind of conspiracy and and you know just a whole pile of stuff and mm-hmm. i love i love that where it, when you know when a thriller can take you down oh, gosh, you know, I it isn't uh, taking you away from the story. It's taking you off in a direction that makes you more engaged with the story because it's yes. revealing things that you kind of, you look at and you go, because so many people kind of maybe write it for a linear. We don't want linear. We want the no, twists no, no, you and don't turns. want linear. You know i remember him in one of his books once uh uh, writing himself into a pit and it took him a week to write himself out of that pit (laughs) and and i I know that's why, right you know what it's like with a writer you get so caught up with something and then basically you kind of come to a stop it's like okay well i got myself into this how the hell do i get myself out of
1: it right exactly (laughs) no exactly that's right never paint yourself into the pit always you know always leave yourself that opening when you get up from the table come back the next day at least you know where you're gonna go yeah so true yes
0: yeah well it took him a week to write himself out of that one but um i think that's also something we don't realize with authors you know so many people are now you know writing books and a lot of self-help books and etc and they all have the the validity but there is you know there was another author i interviewed and she was um was it a stenographer you know in the court Uh Uh, she was the artist so she was the criminal artist in the courts and uh, she learned so much from doing you know um these crime arts over a number of years that she actually created a a story about a woman who did this who became a kind of a private eye unwillingly and uh, and then it went into a series but because she brought her expertise of what she knew into it it just it took you down this journey because we always take what we know in life and put that into the story because that that makes the best writing
1: yeah it does because
0: it's 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 got that foundation and that validity that structure because you always need a structure in a book don't you that's right
1: you can always recognize when someone's faking it (laughs) yeah Yeah. they don't know what they're talking about i mean you know for example i'm not going to write a book about the circus anytime soon because i don't know anything about it but you know, I didn't know about crime and about Mm -hmm. law and about espionage and things. Those are things I've been involved with. And that's what you, that's what you should write. Yes, I totally agree.
0: You know, and I know the case of my brother, he's been writing all his life and he researches and he he even goes and visits places if they're going to be in the scene. Um, He will, you know, read any historical things that need to be known. Um, He wrote one on the pandemic back in 2000 something which is was about the sars and he researched all of that and if you don't have that kind of truth in there that that connection in there either historically or currently or or something you know some nitty facts it becomes a little bit what i call kind of the too fast and the furious it's all about the action and isn't about the substance
1: that's right that's right no i totally agree (laughs) i totally agree
0: do you have a writing process are you kind of very disciplined is it this amount of time or you do
1: this or that team? you? No, know, I'm, I'm pretty disciplined. I, I, my MO is that when I'm working on a novel, which is not always, I mean, I take breaks in between and I do different things and I write uh, political commentary, I write nonfiction and things like that. But when I'm writing a novel, I like to write at least three or four hours a day and only in the morning. I'm, I'm mm. useless by the afternoon, <laughs> by the afternoon I have to go do something else. But I like to do it in the morning early, when I'm fresh, when my mind is clear, And I used to write by longhand all the time and then transcribe it to the computer. But it's gotten to the point where, you know, we're all so conversant on the computer that I write directly pretty much onto my computer now. And I know that people feel it's not the same thing. And they're right. It's not. You don't get the same. There's something about your hand, you know, a fountain pen, a pad. There's something about that 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 makes a connection that a computer does not. However, you know, it's a lot easier to edit right away on a computer or you say, oh, my God, that was awful, and just take the whole (laughs) paragraph out and then rewrite the paragraph. It's a lot easier to do it that way. So anyway, that's what I've done. But I also, the other thing is I always, and people ask me this, I always work from an outline. I Mm. have tried the other process. I come up with a great idea. I come up with a great character. And I said, let's just run with this. It never runs, you know, that's where people talk about writer's block. That's where it comes from, because with an outline, even if I'm having a bad day, I know that I could say, "Okay, today I'm going to write about my interview with Sarah. I know it's going to happen. And I know that. And and I don't know maybe how the interview is going to go. Maybe you get up and start yelling at me. Maybe someone comes in and hits me in the back of the head while I'm talking. (laughs) Who knows? But at least I know I'm having the interview with Sarah that day in the book. And working without an outline does not work for me. So. That's just my advice. Other writers may, may operate differently, but I like an outline, not too detailed. Yeah. because You like spontaneity and, like, you know, you want to have a certain amount of leeway. Like we were talking the other day, someone asked, What do you start with mm-hmm. in, in your book? Uh, you know, and other than the main character, maybe the, the main kernel of an idea, I always start with the ending.
0: Yeah, a lot of people <clears throat> do. Me. Yes.
1: You yeah. need to know how Where you're gonna you going to read <laughs> off at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like if you and I said we're going to take a drive from Vancouver to Florida, we say, okay, we pretty much know then we're going to arrive in Miami at some point. We don't know how long it's going to take, mm-hmm. and we don't know how many stops we'll make along the way, but we need to know where we're going. Otherwise, what, we're just going to get in the car and go in circles. It makes no sense. You have to have yeah. some kind of a direction. And so I believe in, in an important, the importance of the ending because you want a reader to come away satisfied. There is nothing worse and I've had the experience of reading a book. And when you get all the way to the end, you said, that's it. You've got to be kidding me.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I've watched
1: movies like that. I'm sure oh, we yeah. all have. And you said, and, and it fades to black. And I said, yeah. that was the end of the movie?
0: Yeah, it it's limp.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. No, <laughs> yeah, no sort of payoff, <laughs> no. no satisfaction, no. no sense of what really happened. No denouement where you yeah. find out, you know, at the end, yeah. what happened to people and, and all that sort of thing. So, So for me... I have an outline. I know where I'm going to begin with. I know where I'm starting, and then I fill in a lot of things along the way.
0: Right. It, it's it's like when I do a speech. I have highlights. I'm very organic, but I have the highlights there that kind of keep me on track and keep me focused in there. Um, and that's kind of really what you're doing, hey, isn't it? the
1: phone, yeah, please. That's- <laughs> I don't know what. I'm sorry. I'm going to figure out a way to hang this up. Okay. <laughs>
0: Somebody needs to get hold of you.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whatever it is, it'll have to wait. I apologize, everybody. Don't
0: worry. Don't worry. This it's the modern life world. Life Things have always Yes, exactly. Um We have to go with our flow. I'm dyslexic, So writing by hand, I couldn't even read my own writing. And then I would get frustrated that things are being written backwards. So when for me, when the computer came along and I started writing, that's actually when I got creative. So we all have a creative process and it's knowing what it is. Some people like to write at night, some first in the morning, some have real structured discipline. It is that if you are really intending to write is kind of, I think you, you have a dialogue with your characters beforehand.
1: Um, Excuse me one second. I'm sorry if we'll get back on track. I remember reading years back, Joyce Carol Oates worked like 10 hours a day or something. She would write in the morning, then she would take a break, she'd teach or something wherever she was teaching in college, then she would come back and do rewrites. I could never do that. No. I would be so useless the next day for writing. Right. Uh, you know, And I hate to invoke a name like Hemingway, but I remember reading about Hemingway as a young man and he said, make sure there's something in the well, you know, so that yes. you so that you come back the next day and there's something there, don't write the well dry. Because mm. if you come back and you've got nothing the next day, those days start to string together. And right. I believe in that. I think you really yeah. have to, you know, you have to, you know, keep it going, but know when to stop and then come back the next day.
0: I mean, you know, um, a lot of people you may go for a walk, may go do something and, you know, all of a sudden, the 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 next part comes into it or a character comes into it and it's like always have a pen and pen ready to write down because then that's somebody you're going to insert because it's not like everything is creative the moment you start writing or at your computer, is that if when you're immersed into a into a book or storytelling, little characters are going to kind of pop in when you see somebody doing something and if, Oh, that character will be good in the book. Do you find that?
1: Yeah, sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you have to be open to those things too. Mm-hmm. It's, the other the other thing I think uh, it's sort of in, in the same line is this you you write a character, let's say whoever it is I write the Sarah character and she and Jeff are having a conversation and then she lies to him about something and I'll just sit there and I'll be so troubled because I'll say wait a minute you built a character who is so honest and has such great integrity if she lies, She wouldn't do that. So what happens is the Sarah character becomes life and blood to me, becomes real life. And so I know that your character is not going to lie. And Mm -hmm. so I have to rewrite the scene. And that's so important that that characters within the universe Mm -hmm. of the book you've written, they have to be authentic within the book. You can't have somebody do something completely out of character because then it makes no sense.
0: But it also worries the reader. That's right. You know, you get stuck on that. Why Why? Why did they do that? Why did that happen? And, well, you, get,
1: and, and you could do that, by the way, you could do that for, for effect. Like maybe it turned not out that it. she wasn't so honest, you know, right. maybe that's what the yeah. character's about. But, but you they don't want to it be... to
0: keep you there and stop you from moving on. That's you don't right. want it to disturb you. You know, it, it, it can upset you if something, you know, somebody dies along the way. But, but if you take somebody, if you take a character so completely out of character, That's right. It's too much of a jolt, and it disturbs people, and then they've lost the flow of reading. And it's like, well, I don't want to read this anymore.
1: (laughs) No, which doesn't mean that characters cannot be three-dimensional. For example, uh, just just to use Fool's Fool's Errand as an example, Blackie, who's who's the father, the deceased father of this young man, he did some bad things. He was on the fringes of crime and all this sort of thing, but he was three-dimensional. He also loved his son, and even though... He was not the greatest father and made mistakes. In the end, he really did love his son. And so that gives him texture. It's like villains. You know, you don't want your villain to be 100% evil because then they're not interesting. They've got to have some other texture to them, you know, to give them life. Otherwise, they're two dimensional.
0: I mean, very often, you know, we we love to love the bad guy. You know, we want to see some hope in that bad guy and not just pure evil or just I don't care if they delete them. But you want to see somebody that that's, you know, had to face something. They be kind of became bad or made bad decisions. And you, you're kind of rooting for them that the hope that something will happen along the way. Right.
1: Cannibal Lecter.
0: Yes. Silence exactly. of the Lambs. Yes. I
1: mean, he was the most gruesome, imaginable villain. He was a cannibal. He was a murderer. And yet he had a soft spot for clarice. Yes. You know and that that little that little bit of humanity turned it around. The Godfather, Don Corleone was a brutal and vicious murderer. He ran as we were talking about criminals before. He ran an organized crime family and so forth and yet it's really a family story. Yeah. He really cared about his son Michael. He never wanted him to be in "quote the family business," right? That was the whole point. Yes, and Michael was never meant to be in the business. It was going to be Sonny, not Michael. And so that gave him that humanity. Without that, he would have been a he would have been a cardboard figure. But instead, yeah. we rooted for him, and he right. was and he was an awful person.
0: I know. I mean, and it kind of makes you question how can I root for the awful person? And I think is there's a sense there that belief that we can all change under the right circumstances, and they say, you know, a leopard never changes their spots, but I think, you know, that um, if there is a willingness to see that something is not working and you're willing to change it, whether you succeed or not, people will root for you, Right. If you're trying to put a wrong right, people will root for you because you're feeding the right energy instead of the wrong energy. One of the things I I don't like. I love a good thriller that undoes the mystery, and yes, there could be shootout scenes, but I hate it where it's gun first. You know, and masses of bodies everywhere because no, I the, agree. Where's the intrigue there? You know, it give me. You know, I mean I was I was the fan of, you know, obviously the Saint and Danger Man and and uh, you know the James Bond and everything. I loved the situations they would get in and have to get out. But you know, now it sure. seems to me everybody just shoots their way out. You know, and it's like where's the story there? Well you want, something more, you want something more time.
1: clever than that. Yeah. You want something more clever than that. I completely agree. Yeah, some of it is just you know, some of these body count movies. There, there's a series, and I shouldn't pick on anybody because I know people like this. And in fact, I, I'll admit I watched it. It's called John Wick with Keanu Reeves. Yes. yes. The and body count in those movies. Diana. I know. Is my son loves these things? Yes. I, I said he must have killed four hundred people in two hours. Yes. <laughs> it's like, and it's exciting and it's cleverly yeah. plotted, but it just, I don't know. You you want a little bit better than that, I think.
0: Yeah, I think I think more mind intrigue. And you know, some heart intrigue in there. Um, yep. We don't mind a villain, but um, you know, if, and sometimes you're rooting for that villain, but if it's just can't blunt, you know, it's where's the story in that?
1: You know, and I was just going to say in Fool's Errand* as an example, one of the things that you know is that this young man. He's chasing down this this hidden treasure of money, whatever, that his father writes him about. And we know from the beginning because who the father was that this is stolen money. So mm-hmm. it's not like he's a good guy. It's not like right. he's trying to find, you know, a lost necklace from his, you know, that his mother lost one day. This is but yet we still root for him because we know what he's going through in order to embark on this journey. And so I think that's what makes things like that fun.
0: Yeah, it's you know, I mean, this network is called self-discovery and and it's as people discover themselves in situations. I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead and it's not anything to do with the zombies. It's to do with what people will do in order to survive. What will they do in circumstances? How do they change? Do they change to somebody they wish they never were? I'm intrigued with the, the, you know, the psychology of people and what they will do because we have no idea, do we? Until we're in a situation of how we would react. And that's why we're drawn to these type of, you know, um, books and movies. Because it, it takes us down places that we know that we would probably never, ever would go. And would we? Could we? You know, how would we react in that situation? So we're right. vicariously living through them, doing things we know that we will never do. That's that we right.
1: hope that we will never do <laughs> well yeah or, or if we were if we were forced into situations what would we do as you said earlier yeah. the what ifs yes what if you were placed in this horrible situation what would you do to extricate yourself how, how far would you go yeah you know how would your morality be be twisted so to speak? if you had to face these sort of dangers or these sort of problems, what would you do to save somebody else? I mean, mm. all of those things become interesting to me.
0: I mean, it's all very well to say, oh, no, I would never do that. You don't know until you're in that circumstance. And I think it, it shines so much more humanity on us as a human race, is that, you know, uh, when somebody is faced with something and the things that they have to do, either in protection or survival, and we don't know what we would do, it's all very well to be righteous. You know, as the spectator, Absolutely. but when you're actually in the situation, and and I don't, I always say that fiction is never very far from fact. You know, you may have written a fictional story, but somewhere along the line, there's somebody living that fact.
1: Yeah, at least at least large parts of it. And yeah. you're right because you don't know. I mean, and I hope you're never in a circumstance where there's a gun to your head, but you don't know how you're going to react if there's a gun to your head. Yeah, you don't know how you're going to react. Uh, You know, if if there's a blazing fire, will you run into the house to Mm -hmm. save your grandmother? Would you run into the house to save a young girl that you didn't know? Would you run into the house to save a dog? You don't really know until that circumstance arises. And so then they say, well, that's what makes heroes and so on. But that is the great part about human nature. We really don't have any idea until we're confronted with that. And so we read and we see how other people react Mm -hmm. in a fictional sense. And you wonder, as you said earlier, you wonder how you would react to that. That's part of the fun.
0: I also think it's like if you ever did come into a situation, I read about this once. <laughs> and I True. could do this, I could do that, you know, and it, it kind of almost becomes a subliminal uh, tutorial on how to get in or out of a situation.
1: <laughs> yes. And as long as there's not lethal danger involved, yeah. you know, usually it's helpful. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah i mean i've lived in some situations and uh um kind of drawn on on either past experiences or things you know i i know i've been in a situation where i've stepped out of being sarah and stepped into a character be- to get me through a situation because i knew that that character could handle it better <laughs> than sarah could it's still obviously sarah doing it but i kind of you know manifested this other person to help me through a situation and i think sure you know a a good book will do that you know it stays with you those characters stay with you and i think in many many ways it can be even invitational to your own strength and and courage you know
1: we can only hope
0: we can only hope hope.
1: that we're there yes yeah
0: yeah um you've written other books Let's, let's go and dive more into those as well tell us about those
1: Okay, before I do, I just want to say one thing. One last pitch about Fool's Earn because mm-hmm. of, of the topic that we're discussing. A lot of the book, and I don't want to sound this is not this is not high end literary fiction. It's not you know this is not James Joyce or anything. But a lot of it is about self awareness. The mm. key to the book is not only what this young man discovers about his father Blackie along this crazy journey. It's what he learns about himself. Yeah, and I think that that also. Is so important in great fiction what we see others learning about themselves and how that informs thoughts about our own lives. Yes. So so and now I'll just segue. Um, as I said, I have a, a thriller series out there, and it's based on a real CIA agent that I that I knew. And um there are four of them out there. The CIA agent's name is Jordan Sandor. He's sort of an American James Bond. I love James Bond as I you said too. you did. Yes. And so I just always wanted Kessler, to write
0: James Bond of the sea too. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I want I wanted to write, you know, an American James Bond. So he's a little, he, it's not so much about tuxedos and martinis, but <laughs> he's iconoclastic. He's a, a wiseacre. I mean, he, uh, he talks back to his superiors and everything, but his one immediate boss knows that he's the best agent that he has. Yeah. And so it's really a lot of globe trotting and a lot of fun. And so they are, what I would call uh, Graham Greene's entertainments. In mm-hmm. other words, you know, I don't expect you to come away with a life-changing experience from those books, but I do expect you to enjoy them, to relate to the Sandor character, to root for him. And so that's a lot of fun. Um, then, I, then I came out with a uh, the Crimes and Passion, as I mentioned, which is a murder mystery. And that book is a little bit more attuned to who the characters are. And the background on that, to, to just take a deep dive for just for a second, it was a point in my life when a lot, a lot of friends were getting divorced. I mean, a lot of friends, almost like all these marriages hit a wall. And it was strange because these weren't six-year marriages. These were 20-year marriages mm. and more. And I thought about, gee, why? I mean, I'd like to like to write a book exploring that. And then I thought, boy, that'd be an upper, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> about all these divorces. I don't think so. So, I thought, well, what could I wrap that around? And I thought, how about a murder mystery? Mm -hmm. And so I created a situation, and again, it happens early in the book, where this woman who is, uh, she's writing a journal about her various sexual exploits. And it turns out that she has been tracking down and seducing the husbands of the women with whom she's in a group therapy as well as some other women, uh, other husbands, by the way, and creating a journal about it. And she gets murdered in the opening scene. And so you don't know who murdered her. And the whole book is a whodunit, which involves this detective character and the psychologist, who's a woman who ran the group. When it becomes more and more apparent that the people she's writing writing about in the book, although they're not identified by name, it becomes more obvious to the therapist that these are her other patients. So, The the level of danger rises because the murderer ultimately has to guess that the psychologist is going to figure out who the murderer is. And so maybe something needs to be done about her while the detective is trying to protect her and solve the murder. So there is a lot more character development in Crimes and Passion than in the spy thrillers. The Spy thrillers, other than a few main characters like Jordan Sandor, are more about the action type things that you discussed. But in Crimes and Passion, it was a lot of fun because I got to look at different types of damaged marriages because they come in, you know, there are a lot of different garden varieties of damaged marriages. I mean, marriages fail for many, many, many reasons. It's not just everyone always thinks, well, it's always infidelity, but that's not true. There are many reasons why marriages fail. And so I enjoyed writing that book. And so I decided to bring back the detective and wrote a sequel about a completely different type of murder mystery. And it's been a lot of fun to do.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think when you get a, a kind of a favorite character and you know there's so much more to tell, I mean, I love, you know, when there is a series of, you know, particular detectives that are going, and I'm a Clive cussler of especially the mm-hmm. earlier work, and Dirk Pitt, of course, was the James oh, Bond sure. of the Sea, right? But oh, what sure. I always loved is that they always started off with some sort of historical thing that then was kind of revealed as as kind of the main plot as it as the book unraveled and so many times things that he wrote about actually kind of came true in real life or it's reflected back. yeah and, and yes you and predicted that I a learned, lot
1: but you yeah. loved but you love dirk pitt that's all yes, yes he's such a likable character yes and so from a writer's point of view as we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. you know if you like a character and you're sorry when the book is over what writing jordan sandler for example yeah. even though they're just espionage spoilers I love writing him because I know him now. I know exactly who he is. I know what he'll do in every situation. I know where he'll be clever and I know where he'll be not so smart. And, you know, I know where he might make mistakes because he becomes a little bit too aggressive and on and on. And so that makes it fun to return to him in those situations.
0: You know, a lot of people say they get lost in their character or their character takes on a life of its own. You're referring to this character, but it is you writing it. So somewhere inside of you, there is you know, each one of these characters that is there, that comes out in you. Do you find a different, you know, when the book has been written, do you find that they stay with you? Do you have little conversations with them? You know, does it change the way you look online? No,
1: that's a fair fair question. I I don't know that I would say I have conversations with them particularly, but I will say that they stay with me and that harking back to your, to your earlier points about villains, the villains have to be good. I mean, if your villains villains are two-dimensional, if your villains are not interesting, if your villains are obvious, the book's not going to work. I mean, a good hero is important, but a great villain is even more important. Yes. Like, you know, like when you think about it, really, and I love James Bond, don't get me wrong, love him, but James Bond is really not a very deep character. He is, as M said in one of the movies, he's a blunt instrument. I mean, he is, you know... He's a murderer for hire. He's there to protect the country. He's um, full speed ahead all the time. <laughs> yes. You know, yes, he's a womanizer. Yes, he yeah. loves to gamble and drink a martini and all that stuff. But there isn't a whole lot of depth there, you yeah. know, whereas his villains yes. are really fascinating. I mean, you know, some of them are really wacky. The one played by Christopher Walken yeah. uh, in the Roger Moore James Bond, yes. one of these most recent ones that, that with um, like in Skyfall, Javier Bardem was yes. fantastic. I mean, And then Christopher Waltz in the next one. They're very, very textured villains. Mm -hmm. And so that's good. And so I try to make my villains interesting. I try sometimes not to make them so obvious as who the real villain is until you're a little ways into the book and so forth. So, yeah, so they do stay with me and they certainly stay with me enough that I want to be with them again in another book. So I'm comfortable writing those next books. I can understand where somebody like Lee Child wrote, what did he write, 30 uh, Jack Reacher novels, because mm-hmm. he knows exactly who Jack Reacher is.
0: Right. Just keep putting him in different situations. Exactly um, right. You know, and the thing is about a villain, nobody becomes bad overnight, you know, and it. And if you can ever get kind of a little backstory as why. The why, why did they become this? Why did they become so hateful? Why did they become so villainous? Where did they lose their heart and soul? Because, you know, without an ignited heart, the soul can't speak to us, you know, uh, this, because it, it is about control. It is about revenge. There's generally always some pain inside of a villain. And if ever you can see that pain, there is that compassion for, they may not like what they've become, but you have more compassion for the villain themselves.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, that's—I mean, just just to stay with the James Bond theme, the, I think it was Skyfall was the one with Javier, but Javier Bardem, excuse me, and he had been betrayed by M. He had been an yes. agent or something, had been betrayed by M. In the next one, Christopher Walken, for some reason, forgive me, I'm drawing a blank on the name of that one, but um, in any event, he felt he had been betrayed by his own father, who preferred James Bond. Yes. If you remember it turned out like the reveal at the end is that this guy's father this one's father had had helped to raise this orphan James Bond and seemed to have preferred him and that was where all this resentment came from okay is it a little corny yeah, yeah. is it the most creative idea of all time no but as you say it still gives us yes. that yeah. insight yeah. where it makes it believable and, and we understand that yeah and so uh, you know that's I don't know, that's how it works yeah that's just okay. how it works with villains. They've and, and anybody
0: it shows that anyone can become a villain you know if, in the you know the the right circumstances or you know the depending on their the particular personality type as well but there are so many people walking around with inner pain today that they lash out to hurt other people to to relieve their own yeah
1: pain. well now you're touching on a real sore spot because th- this is so sad what's going on in the world right mm. now there's so much division. There's so much hate, and it just—I mean—I don't know that it gets us any place. I personally don't Good, think it no. does. No. But it's really—it's really so sad. And you read these things. I mean, I mean, just as an example, and I, I hate to—I don't want to bring the audience down, but this shooting in this trailer in uh, where was it in Colorado the other day? Yes. Guy, guy walks into a party where his ex-girlfriend or something is, and kills six adults and then himself. I mean was there not a better way to handle whatever was going on there i, I mean it's just it's just mind boggling to me that people do these things or random shootings i mean they're even yeah. more inexplicable yeah. i mean we've really got to we've really got to get a handle on things yeah. and they talked about gun control as a as a solution i don't know the exact statistic but there's something like 5 million illegal guns in the united states yeah. so even if every law abiding citizen were to give up their gun and say you're right. We need gun control. You've got five million guns or more out there that the criminals have. Right. So what? What have you solved?
0: Yeah. So no, the guns. To me, as far so as i because then they've got to be eliminated. Because then yeah, well, needs an AK-7.
1: <laughs> that's the whole thing. I mean, yeah. we need. We really need to get get into the the stop dealing with the symptom and deal with the real disease, which is there's a lot of violence in the society. There, there are these gangs in the inner cities. There's not enough education of the poor that, you know, those sorts of things are where the solutions are. And for, for me in my country, my, my sadness is that I just don't see a um, what's the word I'm looking for. The um, the group of leaders yeah. that we really need to take us to the next level. And, and, you know, I, I don't know, it's unfortunate, but I, I'm troubled by that
0: yeah no i mean hopefully the next leader will be a younger and somebody who understands that yes there's there's some root cause that need to be completely weeded out we had two shootings over this weekend two gangs one at the airport and another one just a, a guy walking down the street just eliminated the 17 the 19 it's gang warfare and yeah. we've had oh, so yeah. many shootings this year that it's and in public places totally brazen and and i do think that a lot of the tv and the games glorify that because they never see the consequences or the ricochet from it right because it's not real right and you know as one person said i live on the street now i'm afraid to walk down it nobody you know those people that are so happy with the gun trigger like you know the movie as you say john wick yeah it it is like well what about the people that nearly got shot or got shot with the ricochet bullet, or you know, that have those that are front. real lives. They're real those lives real that life. you're in. Look. you've just taken that person out, but what about the mess you've left behind?
1: Well, I am. I'm in Connecticut, as as we mentioned before, I was talking to you about before we went on the air, and so, you know, I'm right near New York City. The other day, I think it's two days ago, a young guy with a gun walked into the crowded Times Square, attempted to shoot his own brother. Now, get to this. He was attempting to shoot his own brother, which he <laughs> could have waited till he went home or something. But he attempted to shoot his own brother and wound up shooting a seven year old or eight year old girl. I- I'm not exactly sure what the age was. Ugh. And this police woman scooped this girl up in her arms and took off at a dead run to get her to a hospital because she didn't even want to wait for the ambulance. Right. That's how crazy the world is right yes. now. Yes. It- it's like, in Times Square. So yeah. I mean, and,
0: and the thing is, you know, guns don't kill people, if they're not in the wrong hands, you know, it's, it, you know, the police and the military should have guns, I understand if you're way out in the rural, you need, you know, protection, but it's just, be, it's become too glorified. And this is the thing, I think, when it comes yeah. to the right, we've talked about the movies in the books, where it's just about take out as many bodies as you can. Yeah. As opposed to a book or a, or a movie that can take you into the unraveled, the story, the content behind <sighs> it, and that there is a solution, a dialogue or an action that could be taken that isn't like the <laughs> machete coming right? out. You know, right? and no, right. this is all they're seeing. This is, you know, you talked to, you know, about the attention span, you know, of somebody, um, you know. I've had people say to me, Oh, your shows need to be shorter." And I said they're not designed for those people with that attention span. They're designed for the oh. curious people that really want to know some more in
1: depth. The, oh my god, sure. You know sorry, you raise another great point, which is we live in a headline world. Uh, people don't read the, run, yeah. the headlines. Yeah. Yeah, I know incredible
0: yeah incredible. And, and, and so how can you have any depth how can you have any unraveling everything is instant gratification and that's why so many people are detached and unhappy because the, the instant gratification is like a sugar high once it's gone they're just looking for another instant gratification to to subsidize it it's the they should
1: read, they should read fool's errand because it's a zero body count <laughs> it's a zero body count and it's about people actually coming together in its way and that's another reason, as I said to you at the very outset, that's another reason that I went in the direction of writing that sort of book during the right. pandemic. Yes. Because I think we need more of that. Yeah. And, you know, we need to have life affirmed. We don't need to have life diminished. No. And it's really something that we all have to address together. We really have to come together and address it. We're all on the same planet, we're all breathing the same air. You know, the things that are going on are reprehensible, but there are solutions. But we have to have the courage to enact the solutions, to take the steps necessary. Empty promises, more of the same is not going to get it done. It's just not.
0: And the thing about reading a book like you've got there, like, yes, you said Zero Body Count. It is about him unraveling a story it is about not only the discovery of his father but himself along the way if we are more willing in our own lives to do our own self-discovery to have something inspire us and invite us to take our own journey and to look at resolving a situation instead of just getting up in arms or anger about it every single thing has a solution if you're willing to feed it And the more we're actually willing to go down the road of kind of reading about, you know, how your character solved that solution. It's like, Oh, okay. That didn't seem too difficult. I could apply that in my own life. It isn't just read the book, put it down. There's always points there that can come back to you.
1: That's right. (laughs) Yes. See you sneeze. It must be true as they say. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's true. And so there are things we need to address. And so we need to, Basically, be good to each other. We need to be aware of who we are ourselves. That's the beginning. As you say, self-awareness is Mm. the the beginning of everything. Yeah, if you don't, if you're not true to yourself, uh, you know, I hate to say things like to thy own self be true, but it's 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 absolutely where it's at. I mean, that's where we have to begin. And then we can build relationships and have authentic relationships with people. And the society grows from that. Otherwise, it's going to get worse.
0: When we read a book from chapter to chapter, we grow with the characters. We're now on the the next adventure. Where are they going to go? We don't want to go to the end of the book and see where they got. Because it means absolutely nothing if you're not willing to understand the journey along the way. That's it. It's the journey. And our lives is, you know, in our own book of life, we're going to have many chapters. So, you know, be willing to explore them. Be willing to experience and learn from them. Because it just makes your next chapter even more interesting.
1: Yep. Woody Allen had a very funny bit where he was with so I, I forget if it was a movie or if it was a stand-up thing, but anyway, he would go into the into a bookstore, buy a murder mystery, open the last page, and read it. And his friend said, Why would you ever buy a murder mystery and read the last page first? And of course, Woody Allen was famously depressive, and he said, In case I die before I finish the book, I want to know how it ended. <laughs> <laughs> and, so the, and so it was really he was making fun of the very thing that you're that you're espousing, which is yeah. you have to take the journey. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. It's it's like you say about instant gratification. Yeah. People don't want to work. They want to win the lottery. People don't want to go to their job. They want to get unemployment benefits. Right. People, people yeah. don't want to don't want to lift lift that barge and tote that bail. They want welfare. Yeah. So, you know, this is the whole point. Life. It's about understanding yourself. It's about working hard. It's about being true to the people you love. That's where joy comes from. Living. How, how people don't get that all these yeah. thousands of years later no, is really mystifying. You, and, know? And, you know, mystifying.
0: We we have more access to books, to 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 YouTube, to toast, to podcasts, to everything we have all of this at our fingertips that can help explain that can help guide us that can help nurture us yet we still stand there you know going i don't know what to do you know participate in your own life be investigative be wondrous do you be inquisitive you know your own self-discovery is yours to discover not somebody else's yours that's right. How your life is going to end up, what that next chapter is going to be, is your participation in your own life.
1: Right. I don't want to know you the answer. It's like, right. it's like they say, I'm not going to die. Know. That's
0: the end of the book, right? How That's right. I but I they, they say,
1: would <laughs> you like to know the date on which you're going to die? No, of course no, not. No. You, no. you want to live the journey. Look, exactly. how many times do we see, and I'm sorry to say this, I'm not picking on anybody, but how many times do we see the children of the rich and or famous, have all kinds of problems Yes. with drugs, with orienting yes. themselves, why? Because they're not motivated. They're not motivated to do anything. Everything is handed to them. Yeah. So they don't get the joy of building something. I admire wealthy families who insist that their kids work, that they don't give them everything. I remember reading, uh, there was a story way back when, God, I'm going back in the memory bank now. <laughs> but I think like I read when I was a kid that Bobby Kennedy, obviously he was a Kennedy. Mm-hmm. He gave his kids a dollar a week in allowance. And I remember saying to my mother, cheapers, that's what you give me, what a cheapskate he is. You know? And she just looked at me and she said, no, 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 he is a smart man. Yeah, He's a smart man because he made them earn the rest of it. If they wanted right. to make more money, they had to do chores or they had to go yeah. on errands or they had to do something. And that's how you build character, yes. not by handouts. No,
0: no, and as you said, a lot of the, the people that, um, have been born to that riches they they've they're so in a bubble they have no reality you know i'm always using the metaphor that if you're going to go and do business somewhere when you walk into that building if it's dirty if it's not being cleaned up the bathrooms are horrible the lifts are greasy by the time you've got to that office of that big ceo of that company your entire image is is completely marred. how do i want to do business with somebody when the place is so unpresentable Good point. So the janitors are your first front they're the people that work the hardest that they're unseen that are paid the less but they've set the stage in which for the ceo to to be able to present himself so you know we we forget and we put down the hard workers and we absolutely oh
1: absolutely
0: and i think COVID has done a great deal of that to show us who the real heroes are it's not the big ceos or the big people with the big money for a lot of those people who have been doing um zoom interviews, we've seen more honesty and more down-to-earth and more authenticity from them than we've ever seen if they're interviewed on TV or anywhere else. I think it's been a kind of a level playing field, and we truly know who the heroes are and those CEOs that are put themselves up on those pedestals and those ivory towers. The way they've conducted themselves has been very revealing, and it's really brought them down a notch.
1: quite. It sure, it sure has. It sure has. It's frontline health workers. Mm. It's law enforcement. It's, you know, hospital people, it's, it's you know, everyone, drivers, but, but you yeah. are right. Everyone getting back to the janitor example, you know, everyone, you know, I don't know, looks down on a janitor. Everyone yeah. has a role in society. Everyone Everybody. has a job to do. Be proud the of key it. The is to be proud of yes. the job you do. Do yes. the best you can do all the time. That's the secret to success. That's the secret to happiness in life. I don't yes. care what it is that you do.
0: We've all got a meaningful purpose that self-discovery is what is my instrument how do i play it and which orchestra do i bring it to
1: that's right
0: right i'm with you so yours is writing it's to keep us intrigued it's to keep us thinking it's
1: entertain. Not, yeah entertain it's to
0: entertain too. but it's you know again as i said when a book stays with you or when you you know want the sequel or you recommend it to someone else that's when you know you've got a successful book You know, it's not like, did I read that? I can't remember because the story didn't stay with me. And it's like, oh, I read that years ago. And I loved that character. You know, I wonder if there was a sequel from that. And that's what you want. You want the engagement. It is an invitation for you to engage in your own life. We want something that's nitty gritty and got some content to it that we can put our teeth into. We don't want just blind blah, 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 because it doesn't engage us.
1: Nope, you're right.
0: So keep writing.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yes, I'll keep at it.
0: Do you have another one in the works now?
1: I do actually. the The sequel to Crimes and Passion is a, another murder mystery, which is which I'm happy about, and we're copy editing that as we speak. And I've got another espionage novel in the works, so yeah, I'm busy.
0: Good, good. It isn't just to pass the time; it is to ignite our imagination. It's to show us maybe some possibilities within ourselves it's it's something that you want to refer to um but we also to come away you know feeling good feeling either uplifted or feeling entertained or feeling that the, it was worthwhile spending that time
1: well said very well said i certainly feel that way
0: how do people get all of your books where did they find them
1: um first of all support your local bookstores because they've really taken a hit during the pandemic yes. Um, So, I don't know where people are going to be watching this, but if you've got a local bookstore anywhere in the area, yeah, everywhere, you know, if you can, even if they don't have it on the shelf, just order it. It's Fool's Aaron Jeffrey Stevens with a PH, by the way. Mm -hmm. And you could look on my website, jeffreystevens.com. Again, Stevens is with a PH, not a V. Um, And obviously, the 800-pound gorilla is Amazon. If all else fails, it's available on hardcover. It's on sale right now for the upcoming Father's Day. And it's also on Kindle, and it'll soon be available on audiobooks, and all of my books are available there.
0: Excellent. And, you know, this is a good time. I and mean, people aren't back to work full force yet. There's still plenty of time at home. Uh, even though, you know, if you've had a hard day of work, sometimes you just need to decompress and kind of put in your feet up good glass of wine and a good book, you know, and I'm one of these people, I can't just read a chapter at a time. You know, I get lost in the book. I'm pretty well going to read it until I finish it or take a couple of days to do it. Cause I'm on that journey. That's the way I, mean, I love to, the read best way to read. That's the best you know, way to read. You're there, you're there with it. You know, my kids used to laugh at me with the Harry Potter books. Cause I was the only one completely immersed into them. <laughs> but I think me, people need to do more reading. Uh, the, it is. I
1: certainly know, agree, but it, they really should. They yeah. should get away from the it's TV. It's your
0: interpretation, isn't it? It's your interpretation. Oh, yes. it. And then book club. You know, the reason for a book club is that you've received this from the character. Somebody else has seen something else and somebody else has seen something else. And you get that conversation and you suddenly are looking at things in a different way. You know, and I wish people would have more book clubs and more podcast books to have the discussion as well. So. Don't just put the book down and forget about it, refer it, you know, uh, and uh, speak about it. That's what social media is about folks. I've just read this great book, you know, come and read it, come and listen to it because don't just share mindless conspiracy theories, you know, it it, be engaged and share something fun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You are thanks so much for sharing. This has been Thank great. Thank you so much
1: for having me. This has been a lot of fun.
0: I'm going to have to get your books. I love a good thriller. I love a good adventure. Okay, well,
1: you'll love them. Crimes and, and Passion, check that out. I think I that'll be too. up your alley.
0: Yeah, most certainly, most certainly, especially having and fool's you.
1: Fool's Errand, things. everybody. Fool's Errand for Father's Day, the perfect gift.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what's good is give Dad the book. Tell him to go and put his feet out, up outside, a beer in his hand, and And just forget about anything else, right? There you go. (laughs) Right. So, folks, please read. Please read his books. Remember, being engaged in a book, you don't just put it down and forget it. If the characters are good, if you've really been immersed in it, you take it with you and you never know when that character is going to come up in your own life. So, please support Jeffrey Stevens with his books. Um, A good thriller is really good for your heart and soul. So, until next time, bye for now.